Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful. We thank you that you are a God who delights in revealing himself and whose heart, above all else, is to bring about redemption and restoration. Lord, we thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. We thank you that your grace is plentiful and free. We thank you that this is only free because of, not just because it just automatically flows freely, but because it is one of the implications of the completed work of Jesus Christ, received through faith. And so, Lord, as we hear your word this morning, uh, speaking to us about wisdom, and may it minister to our hearts, whether it be in a corrective or in an encouraging way. Uh, may it achieve that good purpose of forming in us something more of the character of Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. I am humble. Now, I wonder what went through your head when I, when I said that. Some of you might have thought, oh, I don't really think so. Or otherwise, some of you might have thought, you just don't announce that. It, kind of, it just doesn't work. The idea that you declare yourself to be humble kind of contradicts the claim to be humble. I find it strange when people say, I take pride in my humility. And I think to myself, do you actually know what all the words in that sentence mean? They don't kind of fit together. Well, perhaps I could list some humble achievements. Things that I've done. And you still might cringe and think, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to impress us with something? However, even things that the world might consider to be called humble, a Christian might not. There are many different areas where our perspective on something is very different than the definition that generally the world would apply. There are distinctions between what is worldly humility and what is considered safely to come under that banner versus what is godly humility. Now, why do I say that? Because what we're looking at this morning is a differentiator is what is considered to be acceptable in the world under the banner of wisdom and what truly good godly wisdom looks like. A couple of weeks ago, back in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, James starts and introduced them with the question of, can that type of faith save somebody? He spoke of there are different times of claims to faith But he says, what does genuine faith look like? Today we're looking at another comparison. A comparison of two forms of wisdom. One you might call so-called wisdom or worldly wisdom. As opposed to genuine and godly wisdom. And much like the question of faith, it's not a question about stuff that you know understanding and just having all the right answers do you believe the right things it's also a question of what does it do how does that work out 
in your day-to-day living. Genuine wisdom is not validated just by its content alone. Sure, yeah, there needs to be an understanding, but like the faith which does not just stand alone, neither does wisdom stand alone as an understanding. It produces certain things. Any time we meet together for prayer, whether it be our prayer meeting or in our community groups, people will often ask, it's a common prayer point, they've got a situation going on in their life and they say, pray that God would give me wisdom in this situation. Now when a person says they want God to give them wisdom for this situation, they mean more than just a right understanding about what to do in that situation. If someone knows what is right to do and then ignores it and does something completely otherwise, you wouldn't say that person is wise. To use the phrase that you've heard probably a lot over the last few days, if it's flooded, forget it. If you agree with that statement, but then when you come across a massive water crossing and you think, nah, if it's worth it, you risk it then you might question that degree of wisdom. God-given wisdom is wisdom not just to know what to do, but the enablement to actually do it in obedience to him. Just as faith has a corresponding outworking, so also does wisdom. So again, we start with a question very similar as we did when we looked at faith. Who or what type of person do we deem to be wise? And in doing that, we'll look at what worldly wisdom looks like and also what does godly wisdom or wisdom from above look like. But firstly, that question, who is wise? I'm not going to be so bold and say, show of hands, who thinks they're wise? Because you might get a little bit embarrassed as the sermon goes on if you did. But think about what people you think are wise, or maybe whether you think yourself to be wise. I mean, this is the question that James places before those to whom he's writing. And I wouldn't be surprised. James knows the nature and the things that are going on amongst the people to whom he's writing that he's aware that there are some who think that they, are, that they are pretty wise and probably heard those words and instantly like, Amen, brother. Praise be to God that I'm one of the wise. But then he brings some challenges to those who believe they are wise. Challenges to examine that claim within themselves. The original Greek sentence is not overly straightforward in a literal rendering it would just say let him show on the basis of his good conduct his works in the humility of wisdom a little bit of a confusing sentence and you'll notice too even between ESV and and NIV you've got some slightly different wording and things but even though the NIVs had to add a few things I think they've probably brought out the intent a little better on this particular occasion When it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 
So it kind of focuses a little bit more on the way in which it's worded, saying wisdom is where this comes from. Humility is one of the things that wisdom genuinely produces. Good life, good deeds, humility come from genuine wisdom. So James is addressing those who would consider themselves to be wise by two key measures. Does your claim to be wise express itself in good works, in good conduct, in the way in which you live? And does it express itself in humility? We've noticed that wisdom is not a theoretical matter. It's not measured by an amount of knowledge or having the right answers. It is a practical matter. People will show their wisdom by their actions. That wording not too dissimilar to what, what James had previously said about, about faith and works. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I've got works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So wisdom shows itself in actions. You could say wisdom is the skillful application of God's truth in humble dependence upon God. But it's not just doing right things. It is accompanied by right character, especially humility. When you think about people who would perceive themselves to be wise, my guess would be that probably more than 50% of people who proclaim themselves to be wise probably aren't that humble. People who like to be known and recognised as being wise tend to also think quite highly of themselves, not lowly of themselves. Also, those who are quick to claim to be wise lack the character that is fitting to genuine godly wisdom. Now, James is writing to a, a real group of Christians, Jewish Christians who had scattered as a result of the persecution that had come after Stephen's execution. And he knows some of them are claiming to be wise, but not walking in accordance with wisdom and not displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And having held up to them the mirror of wisdom before them, he's going to show them two things. He's going to show them the nature or the fruit of wisdom which comes from below, or, and the, or earthly or unspiritual wisdom, and then the nature or fruit of wisdom which is godly and comes from above. But he starts with the negative, wisdom from below. If true wisdom shows itself in action, in good deeds and humility, false wisdom also has its signs. And James says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. What he's saying is there are some who claim to be wise, but sitting alongside their claim to be wise is a bitter jealousy. 
that hates it when they see others being around them being perceived as being wise. Who are trying to advance themselves. They want the recognition and the praise for being wise. Completely the opposite of being humble. Now think about Greek culture in the first century. They're dispersed out amongst Gentile people. The Greeks placed a great deal of emphasis on the importance of wisdom. They, would, they would, took their value in terms of not only if with you were a wise person, but by your connectedness to a particular wise teacher. Humility in their eyes was not only a foreign idea, but a stupid idea. But this type of wisdom that James is addressing, or the type of people in particular may have actually been deemed wise in the eyes of the world. Because look in verse, verse 15. He says, this is not the wisdom from above. So he's not saying it's not wisdom. He's not saying that people don't call it wisdom. He says, this is not genuine godly wisdom. These things may characterise the wise of the pagans that surround them, but should not characterise those who are followers of Jesus. In fact, when it's expressed through bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, your claim to be wise is thoroughly void. In other words, you think that you're godly and wise, but your actions and your attitudes show otherwise, even if the surrounding culture around you is cheering you on and saying, Well done. Back in the first chapter, James instructed his readers regarding wisdom, saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. And he talks about how we should, if you want wisdom, ask for it. Ask for it, believing in faith, and your God rejoices in generously giving wisdom. But the wisdom that James was speaking about in in verse 14 is not the wisdom that has been asked for and received from God. Rather, in verse 15, he says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Rather, it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now imagine if you were amongst James's readers and presumably it's being read out audibly to people and say, they've got the bit that says, who's wise and there's something, yeah, that's, that's describing me, I'm getting my recognition. Then he kind of challenges their heart a little bit regarding their humility and selfish ambition. And now he says, if you're like that, not only is it not godly, It's just like the world around you. Imagine how they felt when he got to and demonic. It wouldn't have sat very well with them at all. And as we're going to see in chapter 4 next week, 
we see the nature of the worldly passions and the way in which it formed and, and shaped them to go after things that were so destructive in the ways in which they would treat one another. Because selfishness and jealousy not only are ungodly, they are destructive. Wherever je- jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That's not just talking about a mind as like, well, this is a bit of a whoopsie, you, probably something you shouldn't do, but don't be too concerned. James says, when you are jealous and you have selfish ambition, you will do whatever it takes. You won't care about your conduct, you won't care about who you hurt, and there will be disunity and a lack of peace along the way. Disorder is a word that basically means, it's the same word that James used another time, speaking about one who was double-minded. It speaks of an, of an in- instability or the opposite of it, which would be peace. It's the opposite of peace. It breaks apart the unity of the body of the Christ that unity with the body of Christ should be known for. Where the goal is not to love your neighbour as yourself, but to love yourself and advance yourself at the expense of your neighbour. That should never be said of a follower of Jesus Christ. And we see that in the world. When people want something for themselves, they will do whatever it costs. Whether it's in a workplace environment and someone's trying to get themselves up the next step, they don't care who they tread on to get along the way. Whether it's a, a leader, Putin, one who say, oh, I want to build my empire, expand it. The other day I saw a video of, of, a, of a tank just intentionally driving over the vehicle, a car of a person. A passage like this should serve as a warning to us. Especially if we think we're wise. Do I think I'm wise? If I take a good, honest assessment of myself, am I actually humble or do I want people to think that I'm humble? Is there a part of me that deeply wants to be recognised or in praise as though I'm wise? Praise as though I'm humble? Am I actually seeking peace? Am I wanting to build up others and seeing them get ahead? Or is it all about me and my advancement? So if our answer to those questions is no, then we should repent. We should come back to God whom we've offended. We should bring that before our brothers and sisters who we may have damaged in our relationships with along the way. And we should do so in humility. But also do so with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for God for his unending grace. Knowing that when we confess it before him, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. But in contrast, James also gives us seven things of what genuine wisdom from above looks like. 
But before looking at those seven traits, look at some comparisons just by nature between those two things. You've got one that says it is demonic, it is, as in its origins are demonic, whereas the other here comes from above, from God himself. One of it expresses itself in bitter jealousy and one which expresses itself in gentleness. One that produces disorder, one that produces peace. James says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Genuine wisdom expresses itself firstly in purity, moral purity. A person's character claiming to be wise should be pure and holy. A Christian should be growing in holiness. That language of being pure is exactly the language that Paul uses, saying he wants to present the bride of Christ pure and spotless before the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, wisdom from above is peaceable. It doesn't mean that you're trying to avoid conflict or you just don't go there on sensitive topics. But it does say something about how you respond. Is your desire to engage in a peaceable manner or is it your desire to engage in a manner to bring the other person down, to inflict harm upon them, to raise yourself up? Because Paul tells us we should pursue peace and for mutual upbuilding. Just a few chapters before then, in chapter 12, he says, as far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with everybody. Thirdly, this wisdom from above is gentle. Now that doesn't mean you're soft and you don't speak firmly regarding important things. But it does mean you don't do so unnecessarily harshly. There's a difference between strong and being harsh. You can be strong while also being gentle. It's being considerate of others around you. Even Jesus was described as being meek. Yet that's the same Jesus who was very forthright as he cleared out the temple. The fourth thing he says that the godly wisdom looks like is that it's open to reason. In other words, that it is Someone who is teachable. Willing to be found wrong. Willing to hear somebody else's view. You know how sometimes you encounter somebody and they will not listen to a single question that opposes the things that they have said. Now they might be right in their, their assertion but you need to at least listen to, to, to questions if someone is going to ask you questions. The fifth that says, full of mercy and good fruits. Now if we are called to ask our God who loves to give wisdom for his wisdom, if it is a gift which comes from God, then we should expect it to exhibit the fruit that God would supply, the fruit of the Spirit. Sixth, that is impartial. We've already looked at in in previous chapters about the issue of sin, of, of partiality. 
God himself is not partial in the way in which he expresses his love towards his people. And the seventh thing says it is sincere. As in it is not hypocritical. Very different to what we saw in verses 14 to 16, which was hypocritical. A claim to be wise, yet but completely undone by selfish ambition and jealousy. Verse 18, which on beginning sounds a little confusing, where it says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We are called throughout the scriptures to pursue righteousness. But James says, in the setting of jealousy and selfish ambition, there is no pursuit of righteousness. Righteousness is found in the pursuit of wisdom and in the pursuit of genuine, godly wisdom and peace. So we are to live as wise witnesses. Now, I know it's been close to a couple of thousand years since James wrote these letters, but this is a very contemporary topic for the world in which we live in. Now, I'm sure if I put out a spot poll of every single Australian who thinks they're wise, I don't think it would be above 50% in terms of what they would answer on a poll. But if you've ever spent any time on social media, you'll know that the majority of Australians have very strong opinions and they think they're an expert in every single thing they've ever thought about. People are not backwards in sharing their so-called wisdom because once they read a meme about the topic. So they've, they've skipped uni and they've got it all sorted. Think of any single hot topic that exists today, whether it be issues of sexuality, gender, COVID stuff, food choices. There will be people, including Christians, who would love to assert their strong opinions on these matters. Guess what? There's nothing wrong with having strong opinions. If you don't have strong opinions about anything, you're kind of like, nothing matters. I don't care about anything. A Christian should care about a lot of things. Matter of fact, Christians probably care about more things than anybody else. But how we deal with others in expressing our strong convictions should be display of the character of Christ should be a display of humility, of being peace-loving, of being full of mercy. This passage causes us to examine our hearts and minds, asking questions to us of, do I think I'm wise? Now, regardless of how your mind initially reacts to that question, you might ask yourself another question of, How do I react inside when someone questions me over something? Because it's when your wisdom is questioned, it will probably be a pretty good reflection of how highly you think of yourself with regards to your wisdom. Or when you're engaging with someone around issues, 
whether it be a doctrinal issue or, or a potential external um, application of a doctrinal issue? Is there a genuine display of the fruit of the Spirit? Because we do not want to be considered just wise by worldly standards. You don't need to be a Christian to be wise by worldly standards. You don't need the enablement of God to be wise by worldly standards. But we are not to be defined by worldly standards, which we'll look at in greater detail next week. Neither is wisdom a weapon to slay those whom we disagree with. If your mindset is like that, that is that militant, James would say that type of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. Even Jesus would describe himself as meek. That doesn't mean that he was weak. doesn't mean he was like a carpet for everyone to go walking over. He was strong. He spoke with power. He spoke with authority. But he also spoke with, with grace and mercy, desiring that people would actually come into his blessing, not desiring that they would come into his cursing. The example of Christ, as Peter describes, is this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Yes, he spoke to issues. Yes, he spoke strongly, but he did so graciously and with a desire that they, the opponent would come to the knowledge of goodness and grace and mercy found in God. But rather than focus on the negative, we're not stuck in a rut. We are told that we are to ask God for wisdom, who gives it generously to those who ask for him in faith. He loves to give. And the wisdom he gives is both humble, peaceable, gentle, full of the fruit of the Spirit, full of mercy, not jealousy. It is reaping righteousness in peace, not jealousy in bitterness and disorder. Being wise in God's eyes is not about just knowing the right things. Yes, there is a transformation in the renewing of the mind, but not just the renewing of our mind to being theoretically changed, but practically changed in the way in which we live and walk each day. That's the language of the New Testament. It talks about walking worthy of the gospel. Walking worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning in your everyday going about, living in such a way that reflects something of his nature and his character. Wisdom is practical. It is cultivated within, through the renewing of our minds and our hearts, through his word and by the work of his spirit. But it is demonstrated externally in action and in humility. 
with hearts that are transformed to be like Jesus. Because every single one of us who are in Christ are called to be his witnesses and his ambassadors in a lost world. So next time when you're in a situation and you're praying for wisdom, you're not only praying to know what you should do, you are praying that God will work in you by his spirit to walk in line with what is true according to his good and perfect purposes and what will bring glory and honour to Christ. Not even just that you would do what was right, but that in that moment would serve the purpose for the display of his wonderful glory as he gives wisdom and as he is not at work in you. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we confess we live in a culture that much like the culture to which uh, James's audience were living in the middle of, a people who love to be thought of as being wise, who liked being looked up to for having the answers to everything. But Lord, we don't want to just be a people who believe things or believe about certain things or have right, good doctrinal answers. We want to be a people who are, exist for your glory, who display your glory as we, as we walk in humble obedience. That we would desire to see others built up, desire to see others come to knowledge of the truth, desire to see others grow and flourish. Lord, forgive us from times when we have Use the insights, even maybe good insights which you have given us as a weapon to lift ourselves up and to put others down. Lord, you give graciously and you give abundantly. You tell us to ask. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom and we ask for the strength and humility to apply that wisdom in a way that doesn't shine a light on ourselves, that doesn't hurt others around us, but shines a light on you and your work and is useful for the building up of your people and for the display of your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.